As the war in Ukraine drags on, we see a few attempts to try to bring about a peaceful resolution to the conflict. China is taking the lead in trying to host peace talks. Western governments, however, have expressed no interest whatsoever in peace talks. On the contrary, the United States and the European Union are insistent on escalating the war, sending more and more weapons. The most recent example is they're now sending fighter jets and tanks and more and more ammunition. And they're talking about a Ukrainian counteroffensive. Well, while the Western powers claim to be supporting Ukraine, Western corporations are buying up Ukrainian assets. The Ukrainian government has offered $400 billion worth of private contracts and privatizations to benefit Western corporations. We are giving you and your companies the opportunity to work together with us for the benefit of all us. Ukraine is the story of a future victory and a chance for you to invest now in projects worth of hundreds of billions of dollars. By the way, that's more than two times the size of the entire Ukrainian economy. Ukraine's GDP is around $150 billion. So $400 billion of private contracts is really incredible. And the latest example of this is a report that U.S. oil and gas corporations have their eyes on Ukraine's energy industry and Ukrainian officials are offering them very favorable contracts. And meanwhile, while this is happening, Ukraine's Western-backed leader, Vladimir Zelensky, is basically acting as a kind of used car salesman trying to sell his country to Western corporations. In fact, this January, he released a video message for a U.S. Chamber of Commerce organization, a corporate lobby group, in which Zelensky thanked mega corporations like BlackRock and banks like J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. He also thanked Elon Musk's corporation Starlink for all buying up Ukrainian assets. And he said, everyone can become a big business if they invest in Ukraine. We are defending freedom and property. It is already clear that this will be the largest economic project of our time in Europe. It is obvious that American business can become the locomotive that will once again push forward global economic growth. We have already managed to attract attention and have cooperation with such giants of the international financial and investment world as BlackRock, JP Morgan and Golden Sachs, such American brands as Starlink or Westinghouse have already become part of our Ukrainian way. Your brilliant defense systems such as HIMARS or Bradley's are already uniting our history of freedom with your enterprises. We are waiting for Patriots. We are looking closely at Abrams. Thousands of such examples are possible. And everyone can become a big business by working with Ukraine in all sectors from weapons and defense to construction, from communication to agriculture, from transport to IT, from banks to medicine. And I believe that freedom must always win. And I invite you to work 
with us right now. And by the way, meanwhile, while Zelensky is sending out these love letters to Western corporations, he is brutally repressing the rights of Ukrainian workers. In fact, Ukraine has passed some of the most aggressive anti-worker legislation on earth, including legislation that makes it illegal for the vast majority of Ukrainian workers to form unions, suspending collective bargaining rights, and Ukrainian workers' wages have been going down. They have no protections. I mean, it really has become extremely difficult for Ukrainian workers who are suffering the most from this war and from all of these policies. And yet, of course, Western governments claim to be acting on behalf of the Ukrainian people. The economist Yanis Varoufakis has been warning about this on Twitter. Varoufakis served as Greece's former finance minister, and he was very critical of the European Union and Western organizations, Western-dominated organizations like the International Monetary Fund that have imposed neoliberal austerity policies on countries like Greece. And he tweeted on April 22nd, there you have it, Exxon, Halliburton, and Chevron, referring to massive U.S. oil corporations, after Iraq are now taking over the Ukrainian oil and gas fields, planning to introduce large-scale fracking, a clear and present threat to poison Ukraine's agriculture. Now, Varoufakis was referencing a report in the Financial Times that discusses Ukraine's state-owned oil and gas company, Naftogas, and its discussions with big U.S. oil corporations to discuss taking over large parts of Ukraine's energy industry. And I'm going to read a few highlights of this article. Ukraine's state energy company has held talks with ExxonMobil, Halliburton, and Chevron about projects in the war-torn country as Kiev looks to lure back foreign investment into its energy sector. That's a nice way of saying privatizing its energy sector and giving these very favorable contracts to Western corporations to exploit its natural resources. It, the article notes that Ukraine is trying to increase its natural gas production, and this is why Varoufakis mentioned fracking. Halliburton specifically is one of the world's leading corporations involved in fracking. Now, just in case people don't know, fracking, which is officially known as hydraulic fracturing, is a very environmentally destructive process in which companies that are looking for gas, they will drill a hole into the earth where they think there is gas located, and then they pump a highly pressurized liquid and they crack the shale rock that allows gas to flow back up out of the pipe. And this has often led to protests in areas surrounding fracking sites because it can often pollute the water supply and do other environmental damage. And in the United States, fracking has become very unpopular. So now these corporations are looking for other countries to do fracking in, like Ukraine, which the West claims to be an ally of. Now, going back to this report in the Financial Times, it notes that this expansion is part of the Western attempt to replace Russia's energy supplies, its oil and gas exports to Europe, and instead try to increase production in Ukraine. Now, Ukraine is not a very significant producer of oil and gas, but with in collaboration with these U.S. corporations, it is trying to expand its production and, of course, enriching themselves in the process. 
Now, the CEO of Ukraine's state-owned energy company, Naftagos, is named Alexei Chernyshov, and he has been meeting in Washington with these U.S. corporations like Halliburton and ExxonMobil. And he said, we are working on insurance mechanisms to protect their equity. Now, when he says equity, that is a very important term because he's what he's referring to is ownership. He's acknowledging the fact that these U.S. oil corporations and, and gas corporations are going to have an ownership stake in Ukraine's oil and gas industry. And I'm going to come back to that thought in a second. Now, in his trip in Washington, Chernyshov, the head of Ukraine's state energy company, met with White House, White House officials, Congress members and senators from both parties as part of a trip to get more political support for U.S. investment in Ukraine's energy sector. When they say U.S. investment, they mean they mean corporations getting ownership stakes because we're talking about equity here. Now, if you go down later in the Financial Times report, it acknowledges what he means when he talks about equity. Chernyshov refers to these U.S. oil and gas corporations and says, quote, we will welcome them. We can do joint production on gas together, a PSA agreement, production sharing agreement. They can have a license and produce by themselves. We will welcome it. What is this? What is a PSA agreement? Production sharing agreement is when a government that has control of natural resources signs a PSA with a private corporation and allows that corporation to exploit, for instance, its oil or gas to drill and, and, and extract the oil and gas. And then in return, the company has all its expenses paid for. And then the government and the company share a particular part of the profit. And oftentimes, especially when it's a country like Ukraine that doesn't have much bargaining power, these are very favorable agreements and oftentimes the company ends up pocketing the majority of the profit and the government only gets a small percentage of the profit. So basically it's a way for governments to sell off the natural resources that should collectively belong to the entire population and instead these private companies owned by private shareholders which are largely in the United States profit and the Ukrainian people end up losing their natural resource and getting only a very small percentage of the profits. Now, one of the areas where Ukraine wants to drill for gas is specifically in the Black Sea off Crimea. And Crimea is part of the Russian Federation. In 2014, after the U.S. organized a coup in Ukraine that overthrew its geopolitically neutral, democratically elected government and installed a pro-Western regime, Russia annexed Crimea. There was a democratic referendum. More than 90% of people in Crimea wanted to join Russia. But Ukraine is still insistent, claiming that it's going to take back Crimea, which is never going to happen. I mean, no serious person thinks it's going to happen. However, we now see one of the reasons why Ukraine wants to retake Crimea. They want to exploit offshore natural gas in the Black Sea off Crimea. However, this remains off limits right now with the war that's going on. I should point out that another reason is that the U.S.-led NATO cartel wants to prevent Russia from accessing the Black Sea through Crimea. And specifically, Russia has a very geostrategically important naval base there that's known as the Sevastopol Naval Base. And it's Russia's only warm water base 
and it's the main base that's used by Russia's Black Sea Fleet. So it's very strategically important, and that explains why Ukraine and its Western backers have tried to prevent Russia from accessing it. Now, a key part of this scandal that I wanted to talk about is the role of Halliburton. Halliburton is a corporation closely linked to the U.S. government that has been deeply involved in corruption. And this Financial Times report notes that the Ukrainian energy state energy company, Naftogas, hopes to sign a contract soon with Halliburton that would help to inc increase production of natural gas. And the head of the company, Chernyshov, said, quote, we want them, that's Halliburton, to expand their presence dramatically. We want them there seriously, boots on the ground. And the Financial Times notes that Halliburton was among the first international corporations to enter Iraq af after the U.S. invasion in 2003. And that's putting it very mildly. During the George W. Bush administration in the 2000s, Halliburton was a household name. It was well known as an example of corruption because Bush's vice president, Dick Cheney, a notorious warmonger and neoconservative, had served for years as the chairman of the board and the CEO of Halliburton. Cheney was, of course, one of the main architects of the illegal U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003, and Halliburton profited very handsomely from the war. In 2003, NPR published a report titled Examining Halliburton's Sweetheart Deal in Iraq. And let's not forget, this is the same year that the U.S. invasion of Iraq began, immediately after the invasion. It no this article noted that the oil services company Halliburton has come under intense scrutiny over its multi-billion dollar contracts with the U.S. military in Iraq. Critics say that it's engaging in a gold-plating contract scheme, inflating costs and pocketing the difference. Critics charge that Halliburton has seemingly become another branch of the U.S. military, a privatized branch, that is, and the company's former CEO, Dick Cheney, is now the vice president. NPR reported that Halliburton had a subsidiary that was known as KBR, Kellogg, Brown, and Root, and it says that, that the war on terror declared after 9-11 created a windfall for KBR. The company constructed base camps at more than 60 locations throughout the Middle East and South Asia. Through contracts with the Pentagon, KBR became the go-to company to provide troops in Iraq with everything from portable toilets to internet cafes. And then if you fast forward a decade later, on the 10th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, International Business Times published a report titled Former Halliburton Subsidiary Received $39.5 Billion in Iraq-Related Contracts Over the Past Decade. And it explains that in those 10 years, corporations in the U.S. received at least $138 billion of U.S. taxpayer money for government contracts, for many services, including private security, building infrastructure, and feeding the troops. And can you guess who the number one recipient of those U.S. government contracts was? You guessed it, KBR, the subsidiary of Halliburton, the company that Vice President Dick Cheney had served as CEO and chairman of the board of. 
Halliburton received nearly $40 billion over the decade. Rather, Halliburton's subsidiary, KBR, received nearly $40 billion in Iraq-related contracts over that decade. And many of the deals were given without any bidding from competing firms. So it's straight up corruption, including a $568 million contract in 2010 to provide housing, meals, water, and bathroom services to soldiers, a deal that led the U.S. Justice Department to have a lawsuit over alleged kickbacks. So this is the kind of blatant corruption that we saw Halliburton carry out oversee, at least its subsidiary oversee in Iraq. And now we see Ukraine is working closely with Halliburton for contracts to expand gas production in Ukraine. In fact, back in November, Naftogas, the Ukrainian state energy company, published a press release on its website boasting of its strategic cooperation with Halliburton. And it posted photos of the CEO of Naftogas, Alexei Chernyshov, meeting with the president of Halliburton, Joe Rainey. And Naftogas boasted that it is strengthening its strategic cooperation with America's Halliburton, one of the world's largest oil field service providers, to unlock the new potential of Ukraine's fields. And the CEO of Naftogas said, your support and visit to Kiev is a powerful signal for the entire market and the world. I am grateful to the U.S. government, to the American people, and you personally for your comprehensive support of Ukraine. So this is a clear example of Ukraine being sold off to Western corporations while Western governments claim to be helping Ukraine. Of course, their corporations are profiting from that so-called help. And I did a report that's related to this back in September. I will link to it in the description below. It looks at an event in which the Ukrainian leader, Vladimir Zelensky, virtually rang the opening bell, opening up the New York Stock Exchange. And he gave a speech in which he announced that Ukraine is open for business. And Ukraine is offering $400 billion in contracts for public-private partnerships and privatizations and private contracts to Western corporations selling off Ukraine's assets. Today, we kickstart a large-scale promotion campaign to attract investments, advantage Ukraine. We will tell the world why Ukraine is a place for good investments and financial opportunities. I invite you to Ukraine, invest in Ukraine, this will be your victory and a new success story for your companies. Slava Ukraini, start your work. To coincide with this press stunt, Zelensky published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal trying to uh, encourage Western corporations to buy up Ukrainian assets. And the Ukrainian government also published a press release in which it boasted of 
$400 billion in investment options, including public-private partnerships, privatization, and private ventures. It noted that this operation is being overseen by a team of investment bankers and researchers that were appointed by Ukraine's Ministry of the Economy, and they're supported by USAID, the major CIA front, and they're working with these Western corporations. And it, this press release quoted the president of the New York Stock Exchange Group, who said, as the largest exchange globally, we stand for freedom, investor protection, and unfettered access to capital. And he said that he welcomes President Zelensky virtually to the New York Stock Exchange bell podium. A symbol of freedom and opportunity our U.S. capital markets have enabled around the world. That press release also featured quotes from corporate executives at Microsoft and Google who are salivating over the possibility of buying up Ukrainian assets. Now, we should keep in mind here that Ukraine's GDP is only around 150 billion US dollars. So 400 plus billion dollars in these sell-offs is more than twice the entire size of the Ukrainian economy. This is just a massive example of Ukraine being sold off to foreign corporations. It truly is incredible. It's, it's almost a kind of colonization. And speaking of colonization, I have another report that I did that looks at the so-called Ukraine Recovery Conference, which was a conference held in July 2022 in Switzerland in which Western governments and corporations met to discuss how they can impose neoliberal economic shock therapy on Ukraine, privatizing everything and profiting from it. I will link to that in the description below. The so-called Ukraine Recovery Conference is actually not new. It was a rebranding of the Ukraine Reform Conference that was held every year by Western governments and corporate leaders. And they discussed ways to profit from Ukraine after the 2014 coup that overthrew Ukraine's democratically elected geopolitically neutral government and installed a pro-Western regime that was led at that time by the billionaire oligarch Petro Poroshenko, who was very favorable to Western corporations. And we now see that Ukraine has implemented extreme anti-labor laws, basically making it illegal for Ukrainian workers to form unions. And Ukrainian workers are really suffering while Western corporations are profiting. And meanwhile, while this is all happening, in the background, the CEO of Ukraine's gas company, its, its state gas and oil company, Naftogas, Alexei Chernyshov, has been meeting with top U.S. officials, specifically Jeffrey Piat, who was the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine when the coup was organized in 2014 that overthrew Ukraine's elected government. And in fact, there's an infamous phone call between Jeffrey Piat and the former top U.S. State Department official at that moment, Victoria Nuland, who's now once again in the Joe Biden State Department. And in that phone call with Piat, Victoria Nuland famously can be heard deciding who the leaders of the post-Maidan coup will be in Ukraine. And specifically, she names... Artsenyi Yatsenyuk, who was a right-wing Ukrainian politician who became prime minister of Ukraine 
just after the U.S.-backed coup. What do you think? Uh, I think we're in play. So uh, I don't think Cleach should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay. Good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him? Here's the next step. So that was the call between Victoria Newland and Jeffrey Piat. And today, Jeffrey Piat is now the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Energy Resources, and he is the G7 coordinator of Ukraine's efforts to assist the G7. You can see a photo on the Nafsugas website of this press release of Piat with the CEO of this Ukrainian state-owned energy company, and the website boasted that Naftogas is working to attract American companies, their technologies, expertise, and investments to increase production in Ukraine. And while meeting in Washington, D.C. with this U.S. official, Chernyshev boasted of Ukraine's new role in Europe's energy security system. So this is an example of one Western corporations profiting, and two, them trying to decrease Russia's energy exports to Europe. Now, while Chernyshev was in Washington, D.C. this April, meeting with top U.S. officials, he also met with representatives from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. This is a, an organization dominated by Washington. It's located in Washington. And the United States is the only country that has veto power in the IMF, and it's notorious for imposing neoliberal structural adjustment policies on countries around the world, including Ukraine. In fact, it's worth mentioning that Ukraine and the IMF recently agreed on a $15.6 billion loan. However, that actually violates the IMF's own historical policies. It was It's the first time ever that the IMF is giving a loan to a country that is actively at war. And even U.S. state media NPR admitted that this violates the IMF rules. However, it said this rule change was politically motivated. So as I noted on Twitter, this is the so-called rules-based order that the U.S. government constantly talks about in which Washington makes the rules and orders everyone around. And if Washington wants to do something, it simply changes the rules. And this is a clear example of this. So as part of this IMF program for Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian state energy company Naftogas met with the IMF in Washington and Chernyshev boasted of successful and consistent cooperation with the IMF, claiming it's crucial for Ukraine's resilience. And he boasted Ukraine has made its civilizational choice using this very racist rhetoric that has become common in the West that implies that that Russia is a separate civilization and also implying that Russia is barbaric and it's part of the Asiatic hordes. And, you know, we see Western media outlets portraying Putin as like a Mongol warrior or whatever. So, again, this rhetoric has become so commonplace and Chernyshev also boasted that Naftogas has fulfilled its part of the conditions for our country to receive the IMF program. He doesn't mention what those conditions are, though. However, if you go to the IMF website, it's very clear this is yet another example of the kind of neoliberal structural adjustment that the IMF imposes on countries. 
In February, they published a note titled IMF staff and Ukrainian authorities reach staff level agreement on the review of the program monitoring with board involvement. And it talks about discussions over medium term macroeconomic framework, fiscal policy, the financing mix and financial sector policy. So once again, there are a lot of strings attached. Ukraine has to impose neoliberal economic policies. And those include increasing taxes on Ukrainian workers. So austerity, simultaneously cutting social support and increasing taxation, creating fiscal space for war related repairs. And they also specifically say reform initiatives to enhance productivity and competitiveness of the private sector. So once again, that means neoliberal economic reform, specifically privatizations, contracts for Western corporations. When they say enhance competitiveness of the private sector, that's what they always mean. And this is also part of the backdrop of progress toward accession to the European Union, which also requires these neoliberal economic reforms. And the IMF stresses that the private sector is expected to contribute to the reconstruction effort. So Western corporations are going to make a lot of money on rebuilding Ukraine in their image, of course. And the IMF also suggests that Ukraine can issue bonds. So Western vulture funds can buy up Ukrainian bonds and profit from Ukrainian government debt, just as they have from countries like Argentina. They buy up these bonds and then they end up making tons and tons of money off of the interest rates, which again, end up hurting Ukrainian workers who have to pay for this at the end of the day because it's Ukrainian government debt. So what all of this goes to show is that as much as Western governments claim to be the best friends of Ukraine, claim to support Ukraine to the end in this proxy war against Russia, being, they're willing to fight to the last Ukrainian. Meanwhile, Western corporations are profiting very much from this war and from Ukraine selling itself, selling its national assets to Western corporations. And at the end of the day, what's so tragic is it's the Ukrainian working class that is suffering the most. Not only Ukrainians who are being pushed into the meat grinder of war, they're being conscripted to go fight in this war as cannon fodder for NATO to surround Russia and weaken Russia and try to bring about regime change in the Kremlin, but also the Ukrainian government's policies itself are repressing Ukrainian workers. I said it again earlier, I need to stress that Ukraine under Zelensky has imposed some of the most aggressive anti-labor legislation on earth that makes it illegal for the vast majority of Ukrainian workers to try to form a union. They have no collective bargaining rights. They basically have no rights. So they're the ones who are suffering while Western corporations are profiting. It's very cynical, but this is how Western capitalist countries, they treat their so-called allies and friends. As Henry Kissinger, the infamous U.S. imperial strategist said, to be an enemy of the United States is dangerous, but to be a friend of the United States is fatal. With that, I'm going to conclude here. I'm Ben Norton, the editor-in-chief of Geopolitical Economy Report. If you want to support the work that we do here, please consider going to geopoliticaleconomy.com support. And there are several ways to donate. 
or you can go to patreon.com slash geopolitical economy and become a patron. We rely entirely on small donations from our listeners and viewers. We have no institutional support, no big donors. And by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're listening on a podcast platform, please subscribe to help promote our reporting in the algorithm. I want to thank everyone. We'll be back soon with more original reporting and analysis. See you all next time.